the fruit of the Spirit, part 6, goodness. Ephesians 4.1, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So living a life of goodness, it means that we behave in a way that is acceptable to God. And the word translated goodness, as in several of the words the Apostle Paul uses to describe the fruit of the Spirit, is only used a few places in the New Testament. And it has the idea of not just being good, but to have energy in that goodness to use it. Looking way back on my life, I recall a few people who were like this. They were not goody-two-shoes types, but they were very good in their moral character, but they weren't snobby about it. And their goodness was really convicting to me because I didn't want to be good. I wanted to be bad. But these people were really likable, and a few of them became my friends. And that goodness that was in them, it was right, and I knew it. It was the way people should behave, and it left an impression in my mind that still resides there today. Now, when I read about goodness in the scriptures, knowing that in the flesh, that is the natural me, I am not naturally good, I'm naturally bad, and my naturally bad boy mentality is not conducive to my relationship with God. So now I have a dilemma. How do I bring about goodness in my life since I'm way behind the curve? There's really not a lot of goodness in me. Well, the answer is simple. Let God bring his goodness into my life by the Holy Spirit. And in our relationship with God, He can fix things, He can change things, He can restore things, or do whatever needs to happen. And the biggest hindrance to this is not God or His ability, rather, it's our own rebellious hearts. And the first king of Israel, King Saul, he learned this the hard way. In 1 Samuel fifteen twenty three. it says, For rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, He has also rejected you from being king. You ever feel like that? That because of the rebellion towards God in our own heart, he seems to have pulled the plug in our life? I felt that a few times, and I knew exactly what was wrong. It was me. So realizing that with God, the road is narrow and difficult, but there's life on that road. And we're not going to find that life anywhere else. And it's vital that we understand this. Then, if we're willing to walk down that road and surrender everything that we know is contrary to godliness and holiness, then that keeps us on that road, and it draws us close to God. And the longer we stay on that road, the more we realize just how good God is. His goodness is immeasurable. As John writes in 1 John 1, 7, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. So now it begins to make sense. We have fellowship with God and allowing him to do his work in us, which happens by the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. When we surrender to him, the Holy Spirit begins to flush the garbage out and replace it with godly character or character like God's. So now we get the love, the joy, the peace, the patience, the kindness, the goodness, etc. It's being pumped into our soul by God's Spirit. And part of that foreign presence is the understanding that God's way really rocks. And my way, despite my own attempts to succeed and please myself with worldly pleasures, may have some success, but it really leaves me bankrupt. Things like money, health, sex, adventure, ambition, etc., These things are all neutral, meaning that in and of themselves, there's really nothing bad or good about them. But we can take each one of those things, along with many other things, and begin to use them in ways that bring about inevitable consequences that really screw things up. 
So to avoid the consequences, we must put each one of those things in their proper place, and they will then become a blessing rather than a curse. And I really like living a life without a curse. I like living a good life. I don't like it when bad things happen to me, and living in obedience to Jesus and His Word, despite it being difficult at times, because I can be a jackass, that becomes a path to godliness where goodness just naturally begins to grow. And like John the Baptist said, I must decrease that He must increase. So the more I decrease in my life and give control to my life to Jesus, the more He increases in our life and begins to bless us, and these things begin to show up in our lives, these character attributes of God. Throughout the Old Testament history, the Jews had their ups and downs with God. It appears most of the time they were in a down and not in an up. So God sent them prophets to let them know that their hope was in the God of Israel, not fulfilling their dreams with wickedness. And one of those prophets, Malachi, he spoke to the Jews on behalf of God, and his book is right before the Gospel of Matthew to the end of the Old Testament. His message was that God had told them what they needed to do to be blessed by him, but they continually rejected that message and did things their own way. And as a result, their lives became heavy and burdensome. And one of the many things that they were doing wrong was not taking the sacrificial system instituted by God in the law of Moses seriously. They were required by the law of Moses to offer sacrifices to the Lord. This was not only to offer up sacrifices for their sin, but it's also to reestablish that relationship between them and God. And the criteria of the animals being sacrificed was they had to be the best. They had to be spotless. Well, what happened is they threw that right out the window, and they began to bring in whatever they wanted to. Basically, it doesn't matter how nasty the animal was. They're like, here, I'm bringing in this animal. It wasn't the best of their flock. They weren't giving God the best. They were giving God the worst. And this not only ticked off the Lord, but it really made their sacrifices worthless. Therefore, their offerings meant nothing to God other than an offense because they were ripping them off. And as a result, Malachi writes in chapter 1, From the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. This is the Lord speaking through Malachi. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted, and its fruit, that is, its food, may be despised. But you say, what weariness is this? And you snort at it, says the Lord. In other words, you're thumbing your nose at it. You bring in what has been taken by violence, or is lame, or sick, and this you bring as your offering? Shall I accept it from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock and vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. So there you have Israel. They were really messed up offering these lame sacrifices, and they were being rebuked because of it. So in their own wickedness, they forfeited their blessing because they did their own thing. And because of this, not only was their relationship with God trash, but they also became wicked and began to treat each other wickedly. Therefore, they became wicked and not good. Another prophet named Micah, he addresses their wickedness in his book. In chapter 6, verse 9, it says, The voice of the Lord cries to the city, and it is sound wisdom to fear your name. Hear of the rod and of him who appointed it. Can I forget any longer the treasures of wickedness in the house of the wicked, and the scant measure that is accursed? Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales, and with the bag of deceitful weights? Talking about people who have been ripping each other off. Your rich men are full of violence, your inhabitants speak lies, and their tongue is deceitful in their mouth. Therefore I will strike you with a grievous blow, making you desolate because of your sins. You shall eat and not be satisfied. There shall be hunger within you. You shall put away but not preserve. And what you preserve I will give to the sword. You shall sow but not reap. You shall tread olives but not anoint yourselves with oil. You shall tread grapes but not drink the wine. 
for you have kept the statutes of Omri. And Omri was an evil king that brought in all kinds of drama, and his son was named Ahab, and he was even worse. And all the works of the house of Ahab, you have walked in their counsels, that I may make you a desolation and your inhabitants as a hissing. You shall bear the scorn of my people. So they had pushed the pendulum all the way to the side of wickedness, set their face against God as an enemy, as well as their own countrymen. And that wasn't cool with God because it's exactly opposite of God's goodness and of God's character. But they took the way of self over the way of God, much like we experience in our life. But God is not satisfied with this. He created us in his image, and that creation was good from the beginning. Creation was designed to be good, and as we are a part of God's creation, we are also designed to be good. In Genesis 1.31, and God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So the principle of goodness goes all the way back to creation. God created everything to be good, and it was. Man screwed it up, not God. And God's creation being vulnerable to corruption is not a design flaw. Rather, it's a mechanism to impose consequences upon that which is accepted as anything other than good. So if we screw up, there's going to be consequences. God desires to lead his people whose hearts are totally given over to him. He desires blessings for everybody because the worst person is still part of God's creation. And that person has the invitation to come to him and be part of the family of God and to inherit his goodness as well. That's the beauty of the gospel message. Nobody is excluded. Anybody can come to faith and trust Jesus and have this inheritance. And that is good. Thank you.